when I first got to Rob, he wasn't sick. We were like skinning up Snow King with 30 pound packs on our back. And within a matter of five minutes, he was almost completely unresponsive. You know, surreal to watch somebody that you know well, that you've known for seven or eight years, that you're having a very clear and concise conversation with going to where he's not answering your questions and he's giving you hand signals. And it was hard to gauge how far off the ledge he'd fell. I'm Matt Hansen, and you're listening to The Fine Line, real stories of adventure, risk, and rescue that take us deep into the Jackson Hole backcountry. And as you'll hear in this episode, that which lies right out our back door. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a project of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to eliminate fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. You can support this project and the volunteers at Teton County Search and Rescue by making an online donation today. Go to tetoncountysar.org slash donate. This episode of The Fine Line is brought to you by Roadhouse Brewing Company, supporting backcountry safety and the Jackson Hole community since 2012. Located at the heart of the Tetons, Roadhouse Brewing Company embodies the authentic spirit of the West, where your word is your honor, quality is your craft, and adventure is rooted in your soul. For more information on Roadhouse and its town square pub and eatery, visit roadhousebrewery.com. On February 15, 2020, the weather in Jackson Hole was cold and crispy, with a low temperature of 3 degrees. It had snowed 10 inches the day before, with another 5 to 10 in the forecast. It was the kind of day that makes you rejoice for having the good fortune of living in a ski town. But while you and I and everyone else was out skiing powder, Teton County Search and Rescue volunteers were scheduled for their normal monthly training. It was also the 8th anniversary of Ray Shriver's tragic passing. Shriver was a TC SAR founding member and influential training director who died in a helicopter crash during a rescue mission on the same date in 2012, a story you can hear in episodes 38 and 39 of this podcast. So it goes without saying that February 15th means a lot to the team. But as this day played out on Snow King Mountain, the training session quickly turned into a life-or-death ordeal for one of the volunteers. Not from an accident, not from anyone falling or getting injured, but rather a volunteer came down with a rare form of anaphylaxis. If left untreated, this severe allergic reaction can turn fatal in just a few minutes. But, you might ask, isn't anaphylaxis often associated with bee stings? Don't bees hibernate in the winter? Well, some do. Some just die, and so others just retreat into their hives for the season. Okay, well then, was someone eating peanuts who wasn't supposed to be? Wasn't that either. So how did one volunteer end up itchy on the ground and spiraling into unconsciousness? How do you even diagnose anaphylaxis, especially in February? And how, in fact, do you treat it? If you spend a lot of time in the backcountry, knowing the answers to these questions could help you save someone's life, no matter the time of year. In this episode of The Fine Line, TC SAR volunteers Rob Scroy, Chase Lockhart, and Dr. Will Smith relive this bizarre, if all too serious, incident. So it was a Saturday morning, and the search and rescue team had a regular monthly training. I remember the temperatures were cold, I think in the teens, and our plan was to break into groups, moving at three different speeds to ascend Snow King Mountain on skis with skins on. And then once we ascended, we were to build shelters at the top ridgeline area. 
the general path was kind of skinning straight up a corduroy groomer on about the bottom third of the slope. And then we'd catch a kind of multi-purpose service road and ski trail that we would switch back back and forth up the remainder of the way. I'm Rob Scroy. I've been in Jackson for 20 years. I grew up in a suburb outside of Boston. I'm a father of a seven-year-old girl and a husband of 10 years to my wife, Krista, and joined Search and Rescue in 2004. My career and lifelong passion has been to work with people to conserve natural resources. I work for Teton Conservation District as a land resources specialist. I also have a startup business that supports residential composting. I love skiing, climbing, and, and I jam on the piano a few times a week. And I'm a diehard Boston sports fan. Yeah, this was definitely unexpected. We were out training. We were doing a team skin up snow king. Everybody was just going at their pace. And again, like was mentioned, it was an anniversary of uh, Ray Shriver's crash. And so we were just out there. Everybody was pretty much just having a good time and just enjoying the camaraderie of everybody else on the team, chatting with each other as we're moving up the hill. And then all of a sudden, the events changed it quite dramatically. Hi, my name is Will Smith. I'm a EMS physician, so that means I work in the emergency department sometimes, but also my big passion is to do pre-hospital emergency medical services. And so as a paramedic before I went to medical school and continued to do my passions in the field, so do medical direction with Dr. Wheeler for all the local response agencies in the valley. So for search and rescue, RMS, Grand Teton National Park, and Bridger Teton National Forest, been on search and rescue since 2004 and actually joined the team with rob and so it's kind of been fun to have each other along the way as we've been through many rescues as well as a lot of other fun times i remember being pretty chilly uh but as soon as you started going you warmed up quite a bit and we definitely got uh, some competition on the team so some of the the faster team members were going up and leading the pack i'm definitely more in the middle of the pack so i was enjoying and remember skinning next to Mike Moyer and he was actually one of the team members on the helicopter crash so again just talking about that and multiple other things of the day and yeah just going along and we also had some venture crew kids which my son was part of and so that's a, a subset of Boy Scouts of America and so our team sponsors the venture crew and so they come out and do training and uh, just prepares them to kind of experience and be safe in the backcountry. Everything's a race for us so we were headed up the King and getting spread out because there was people moving at different speeds. And as Will said, we had some venture crew with us. I hung back to help one of them who blew a ski off. It was one of his first times with like a, a Dina Fit setup and uh, didn't have his toe locked and lost his ski down the corduroy groomer up Snow King. And so we kind of got that collected. And then, um, yeah, we were all headed up to the top of Snow King to see what the training director had in store for us, whether it was snow forts or a medical scenario or whatever it was. I'm Chase Lockhart. Um, I've been on the team since 2015, so seven years now. I run my family's cattle business and uh, meat operation. Born and raised in Jackson. That morning, decided to move with the fastest group and felt good that day. Nothing out of the ordinary. But as we were skinning straight up the hill, I started to get winded, and I felt like that was occurring uh, faster than typical. Didn't feel normal. And then, and then I remember next my body feeling itchy, and I had some familiarity with that that feeling. Kind of hives I have a little bit of history with what's called idiopathic urticaria, kind of hives for an unknown reason. And then that progressed into a little more exhaustion. 
I would skin for a section and then literally just set my poles down and, and rest my upper body on my poles. And people started to pass me. Once I got to a spot called Kiebert's Corner, a switchback, I just I needed to stop. I just made a conscious decision to stop. Something was out of the ordinary. And I remember Chase was behind me, told him I was having a problem. He did not hesitate to stop and, and give me a hand. So I was heading up, up the hill, kind of in the back of the pack, and was making progress to, back to the front. For all of us that have skinned up Snow King, you know that you can kind of be watching the switchbacks above you. And we were kind of strung out like ants going up it. And I could see from a ways away that something was going on with Rob. I've skinned and hiked and been up Snow King many times and, and have an idea of how my body responds to um, just the exertion of going up the hill. And so feel pretty comfortable knowing what... Um, what I'm capable of and what I'm not capable of. And it was apparent fairly quickly that it just, something was, was out of the ordinary, something was atypical, but I wasn't having uh, severe problems or severe reaction initially. Um, so there was a period where I could just kind of keep on pushing through it, slow down a little, try to compensate a little bit. As I got closer, I was watching him deteriorate more and more, like as he was saying, he started to lean on his, his um, he was stopping at first to stop and going again, stop. And then he started to lean on his um, poles, kind of take longer, longer breaks. And when I caught him to, and we were kind of like the Carnes Traverse switchback. And um, we hung out for a sec and I was like, you want to get some water or some food? And he was pretty hell bent on like trying to make it to the top. He was, as he said, in the front part of the pack and like he wanted to get to the top. And, um, you know, with, with the, with the front of the group. And so we made the corner at that point, it was pretty obvious that like he wasn't going to go any further. I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what was going on. I thought he was, I didn't really know, you know, what to think because, you know, he started off strong. He was in the front, you know, there was nothing abnormal. He hadn't taken a wreck or anything. So I started talking to him. What do you think this could be? You know, do you think this could be your heart? Or are you uh, like low blood sugar? Like what's going on here? That's when he brought up that he was itchy. And I was like, okay, well, did you eat something that you shouldn't have this morning that you're allergic to? No, no, no way. And you know, it obviously didn't get bee sting in the middle of February. And that was kind of another thing that he referenced. From there, a few things I remember is, is stripping down and taking my shirt off to see if I could see hives on my body. We kind of went down the road of like, I have, I, I'm itchy, like, let's get my shirt off and see if I have hives because I, the last time I had an incident, I had these like dramatic hives all over my body. I'm like, let's, let's do that. And they weren't there. They weren't there. Like I was hoping that would have been really nice if they were like his armpits, that's where he thought they were going to be. It was right on his armpit. Then it wasn't there. I remember Chase kind of moving into kind of action mode and hopped on his radio to contact our training director, Anthony Stevens. I don't think he had radio contacts, so he just went to plan B and popped out his cell phone, got a hold of Anthony, and, and just started to communicate that there was a problem. I have a bunch of resources pretty close to me. There's several paramedics on the team and two doctors. Our radios per usual, weren't working great. I think what was happening is we were on the face of Snow King and our tower's on the top and it wasn't hitting it. So I got on the phone and was like, we need some help here. Yeah, we're like at Carnes Traverse, like basically dead center. You have a couple people that are gonna be a few minutes out because they're going uphill to get to you. 
and that was probably like the quickest resource was Will and and Mike Moyer who were behind me. Yeah, I was with Mike Moyer, and we were just kind of moseying up the hill, and then as soon as we got a call that something was happening up above us, uh, we started speeding up a little bit, and like Chase said, a few people on the team kind of just slimmed down their packs. They were going to go for speed, but then there was some of the people on the team with their full kits, and so... Again, that's you, you just never know when you're going to need to be prepared for what. So when I got up on the scene, we, we a lot of times talk about our patients and are they sick or not sick. And so those are the that initial quick look, that glance at the patient, and, and Rob was in that sick category. Like you said, he, he couldn't even talk. He, he was still barely conscious, giving us kind of thumbs up, thumbs down. I remember one of his prior episodes where he had some hives on a search and rescue training several years ago over on the other side of the pass where kind of dealt with this a little bit before. And again, it was quite extremist or kind of severe life-threatening situation. And then I eventually remember sitting down, just uh, was experiencing just, just kind of an exhaustion. I think I had difficulty speaking at some point and was using a thumbs up, thumbs down to communicate. And then, and then kind of a final symptom I remember was and losing my vision a little bit, kind of experiencing tunnel vision where, where I just had kind of sight in a, a narrow window ahead of me, but kind of black in the outer areas, kind of in my peripheral vision. But everything that he was describing was an allergic reaction to something. We were thinking anaphylaxis was going on here. I had brought everything, all my search and rescue gear that morning for that training. I knew we were going to hump up the hill, but I didn't know what the challenge was going to be at the top. So I had all my stuff. And I had my first aid kit, which is like a SAR issued first aid kit. So it's like a first aid kit on steroids. I had some Benadryl in it and um, like right away, I made him take some of that kind of knowing that it was a low consequence deal. How can this be an allergic reaction when you haven't ate anything or been stung or anything like that? Rob's got his skis off, he's sitting in the snow. He took Benadryl. In, in hindsight, I wish I wouldn't have got such tunnel vision and started going down the anaphylaxis because I, I quit thinking that this could be like a, a cardiac event that could have been what, what it was, but luckily it wasn't. So I pulled out my epinephrine and like loaded it and waited for Will to get there. Yeah, that's part of the variable with these allergic reactions and your immune system. Sometimes people can die with a, die within minutes. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you just never quite know. Different exposures, different triggers can cause different, different reactions. Basic immunology is that the, the body's an amazing organism. It's a, its ability to kind of react and counterreact and stabilize is always in flux. And so the tricky thing is that the immune system is always in flux. And so for people that are sometimes just hypersensitive, so like bee stings, sometimes you'll have one sting and then the, that that sensitizes you to when you when you when your body sees the next sting is is an overreaction and so you can go on to full-blown anaphylaxis, which is basically involvement of many body systems. So like Rob mentioned, sometimes that's hives, sometimes that's severe airways, sometimes that's nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, sometimes it's just dilation of your blood vessels and just lose perfusion to your brain. And so like you're saying, kind of one of the symptoms of poor brain perfusion is just losing that visual field and kind of that awareness around you, kind of your instinct to sit down is kind of one of those bodies' natural reactions to try and get more blood flow to the brain. So and if you're standing up, the heart's got to pump more against gravity versus if you're laying on the ground. And so a lot of those are just natural mechanisms. But the immune system is always in flux. And so that's the hard thing. Not an immune, not an immunologist by any means, but an emergency physician, an EMS physician. So really kind of looking and, and kind of training the team to 
and teach people how to recognize anaphylaxis. And again, sometimes there's different causes. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's bee sting. Sometimes it's clearly identifiable. But then there's other cases where you don't identify the cause or it's what we call kind of idiopathic or sometimes not known. And so there's a lot of different variations out there. But when it gets to be that end state of when you're having a life-threatening allergic reaction or anaphylaxis, the treatment's the same. So I've been a recipient of bee stings over my lifetime, both single and multiple sting events, and I've only had localized reactions. And then about seven years ago when my wife was eight months pregnant, I was stung in my hand while on my back deck. So my neighbor was burning yellow jacket nests, and one with a fire under his ass got loose and stung my right hand between my wrist and pinky. And within about 40 minutes, every part of my body was covered in hives, these big raised bumps, some, some as large as a dime. I had dark red areas in my groin and armpits, and, and I remember looking at myself thinking I was wearing Superman underwear. And I eventually started to feel tightening in my chest and airway. So my wife, uh, nurse practitioner, she was an incredible provider. And, and after she spent a little bit of time on the phone with the provider in the emergency department, we decided to administer an EpiPen in lieu of going to the hospital or calling an ambulance. And within about 40 minutes, my body was back to normal. And I, I quickly realized my neighbor had done me a real favor there as, as this incident helped me realize I could have severe allergic reactions to bee stings. And, and this happened in a front country setting. And then following that bee sting, I experienced, uh, for the first few times, idiopathic urticaria, uh, both in the winter and the summer, and not associated with, with stings. Again, this is just hives for, for an unknown reason. Um, so I, I didn't experience respiratory distress during those events, but was concerned that it might happen since the symptoms were so similar to the bee sting. And subsequent, just supportive medical providers, you know, informed me that the respiratory distress would, would not be part of that urticaria. Thank God Chase had a, uh, a med kit with epinephrine, and I don't know what discussion specifically occurred, but he administered that to me um, in my shoulder, and that started to reverse the effects within just a matter of minutes. From there, I, I do remember uh, the team just coming together in many ways to um, work with the Snow King Ski Patrol, to acquire a toboggan, load me up in a toboggan. One of the snowking patrollers, as well as our team, skied me down to the bottom. From there, it was loaded into a Jacksonville Fire EMS ambulance with two providers in the back. It was driven to St. John's Health. Spent about four hours in St. John's Health and had several teammates come out uh, to the emergency department. Lizzie, Will, Anthony, uh, wife and daughter, and was on an IV being administered some meds, which Will could speak to better than me. A months-long process from there to really just exactly diagnose what was happening and try to understand a little more background of maybe some cofactors or some, some things that may have contributed to that, what was called uh, exercise-induced anaphylactic reaction. And I had never heard of exercise-induced anaphylaxis before. This was the first I'd ever heard of it. This was really difficult to try to self-diagnose. Uh, the condition itself, exercise-induced anaphylaxis, is something that I think is moderately rare and, and I haven't observed before, haven't hadn't read much about. Anaphylaxis uh, is something I can recognize symptoms of, but just not being associated with something like a bee sting, uh, just this, this incident really threw me for a loop. 
chase and the epinephrine that he was able to give right away definitely saved Rob's life. Even physicians, we're always trying to figure out what the base is, but for him to work through it as quick as he did and kind of identify that this is probably allergic reaction. And again, yeah, it could have been a heart attack, could have been multiple other things. But again, he went to the, the immediate right reaction, got that Benadryl on board. He had the epinephrine kind of ready to, to give. And as soon as I kind of pulled up, I was like, yeah, definitely give it. I think that's what's going on. Just amazed at how Chase worked through the differential. The, the, the true treatment for anaphylaxis is the epinephrine. The Benadryl, steroids, things like that can help stabilize the immune system a little bit. But when the body's in that kind of acute phase, epinephrine is really life-saving medication. And that's what we gave. And I think we actually ended up giving two doses, and he may have got a third dose in the back of the ambulance, if I recall the, the details right. We've had other members on the team kind of with kind of life-threatening allergic reactions in the past uh, as well. So it, it's one of those things that kind of in that pre-hospital medicine, especially the wilderness medicine space, anaphylaxis is, is one of those conditions that we just sometimes randomly see, or sometimes people have a known history. So that's why we kept carry epinephrine in our kits. So as you get the epinephrine on board for the, the body, it starts to stabilize that immune system, helps get the blood pressure up, helps kind of get that perfusion back to the brain and the other uh, key organs and, and gives you time to kind of work through the rest of the process. So it's interesting to hear Chase and Will's recount of the incident because I, I don't remember everything that they've described. Being rescued by teammates was was quite an experience. I've led a mostly injury-free life. I think I've broken my nose and being rescued in a life-threatening scenario was a new experience. I'm not a obsessive or controlling person. During this incident, I had very little control over myself for a brief period, but that was not stressful. I've spent many hours with this team and I've seen them apply tremendous skill sets in many scenarios. I think the team had an abundance of, of every skill set needed to deal with this problem. And I think that knowledge was just deeply rooted in me and, and somehow provided comfort. And despite my declining condition, I really don't recall feeling stressed at any point. I didn't feel any last minute regrets. I didn't feel any any wishes of things I had missed in life. And I feel a little laissez-faire saying that, but I recall calm and being comfortable with the unknown. I owe so much gratitude to this team. I think in 99 out of 100 other scenarios where this anaphylactic reaction could have occurred, uh, the outcome would have been a lot different. These teammates have chosen to give so much of their time and talents to be to becoming part of a team that can that demonstrated their ability to to deal with incredibly difficult incidents like this. Yeah, I'm incredibly grateful for that. The way the team organized uh, again is a lot of these appear as chaotic situations from the outside looking in, but the way we train, the where we approach these sort of situations Everybody gets a task. One of the persons on scene was what we call the incident commander, all of a sudden kind of taking charge, making the big decisions, and then organizing the rest of the response. Kind of Chase and I continue to do direct patient care for Rob. I knew we needed to get him down the hill. We got an ambulance called and, and needed to get him to the hospital as soon as we could for potentially ongoing deterioration. So yeah, the ski patrol um, from Snow King was, was great. It helped us get a toboggan down to him, get him down to an ambulance and in, into the hospital. I, I think there's all these different, like you said, takeaway points from this. So the, the amount of time that we train together, the amount of time that we're able to respond even to an unknown, unplanned incident, 
like Chase was saying, sometimes uh, training director Anthony, as well as others in the past, and Ray Shriver, actually our uh, our colleague that we lost in the helicopter crash. He was our, our team training advisor for many years. It's train hard, so when the, the real event occurs that you're ready to respond, and, and the team definitely did that day. Most people don't have the training that you all have. So how can people who are listening to this prepare for something so unexpected I think if you're going to be doing a lot of time in the backcountry, a wilderness first responder class is probably the just right approach. That's what we try and keep as our baseline skill certification for people on the search and rescue team. Some states, epinephrine is over the counter, um, but if you've got a known history of allergic reaction, especially a severe allergic reaction or anaphylaxis, it should be something that you have on you all the time. If you're going to be in a response organization, yeah, it's going to be making sure that you keep those kits and supplies with you. Just as far as the lay public, um, you could talk with your regular physician potentially and see if they'd be comfortable kind of prescribing you it just in case. Again, it's hard to decide how big your just in case kit pack. I mean, if you keep going, you can have so much stuff that you don't even know kind of where to carry it. But I think a wilderness first responder class, even if you don't have all the tools, all the meds and things like that, at least gives you the knowledge to be able to make some of those decision-making decisions to know whether or not you should turn around or keep going or kind of when to call for help. And so that's what I would recommend. Yeah, and I, I think that's really the key. The companion and the, the military has really came on to this as well, the self-rescue and the buddy rescue, because that's who's going to be there when the event happens, whether or not that's an avalanche, whether or not that's a severe allergic reaction or some other injury or illness. Yeah, to be able to be with somebody else. And again, so not traveling alone um, would be a, another one of those key points that we always recommend. So it's really making sure that you're knowing how to take care of yourself because the search and rescue team isn't always going to be right there immediately. Well, so I stepped back from being a, a provider on the team, a provider in the field for a few months while kind of a more exhaustive diagnosis took place. I spent some time at the Idaho Asthma and Allergy Clinic multiple times for, for testing and consultation and also under passionate and knowledgeable care of Dr. Mike Menolacino. Uh, an internist was given a, a really solid diagnosis that, that Will initially gave uh, just of that exercise-induced anaphylaxis. Interestingly, Dr. Menno, he had seen this scenario play out while he was in medical school in Washington State uh, with one of his mentors when this phenomenon was, was less understood, and he actually helped save his uh, mentor by getting him rapidly to a fire station and, and giving him uh, epinephrine. But uh, a few things I learned is, incredibly, this problem is resolved by taking an over-the-counter antihistamine once a day. And it's, it's like I've been to the edge, and with this really basic solution, it's a non-issue. It's something I need to, to manage, but just no other real uh, long-term effects. I initially tried taking Zyrtec and falling asleep at two in the afternoon wasn't really good for an eight to five schedule. So just take Claritin once a day now and have had no recurrence of this problem. And then with some additional testing, I learned I have a moderate gluten allergy through the, the literature that Will provided me, kind of read a little bit about that there can be cofactors that perhaps trigger the onset of that anaphylactic reaction. A couple of those cofactors are just diet and then cold weather. Those two things could have been potentially triggers that day, uh, cold temperatures, and then um, just the food that I ate in the morning. 
but now I'm back to a point where I don't really restrict any activities and uh, live a normal life. I think we got really lucky that day, but so um, we train a lot. We train all the time. And sometimes I, you know, it seems like we're overtraining or that we, whatever, um, we get sick of training. When something like that happens, it's just pretty amazing how it takes over. Your training takes over and it falls into place. And you can say it's luck or um, whatever, but that day, like everything just fell right into place. And I happened to have my stuff and be trained on it. And it was what was going on. And it worked out remarkably well. It was almost like it was staged. I think Chase is modest to call that luck. I think it was timing and opportunity kind of coming together. I think a lesson for me from this was that was that really unusual scenarios present themselves that can be really confounding. And it's difficult for uh, just a recreator or um, even a first responder to assess and diagnose everything. And you've just got to do the best you can with what you have. And all that time that you put into training and preparedness, it's, it's of value. You don't know when you're going to need it, but it, it truly might make a difference for someone's outcome. I, I just want to point out I'm incredibly appreciative of all of the people and agencies that came together to provide support on this. This was Snow King Resort, Jackson Hole Fire EMS, St. John's Health Staff, Dispatch, Search and Rescue that worked together as a team to manage this incident. Uh, it's just a tremendous network of contributors that have planned and implemented trainings that have budgeted for and acquired equipment and, and prepare for scenarios like this. Yeah, this anaphylactic incident may have shaped somewhat how I look at experiencing the backcountry, but really uh, being, as, being a part of search and rescue and seeing patients suffer and losing friends to backcountry accidents has really helped me develop a conservative approach to enjoying the backcountry. I think to some degree, I'm an example of what's described as kind of the used to where you used to enjoy an activity, uh, but due to seeing others loss of life in that activity, you, you personally step back from it. I think my goal in the backcountry is to enjoy those experiences with the people that I'm with and to prioritize just a positive experience over meeting objectives. And also just physiology as a way of influencing your approach. My testosterone levels have moderated being now a 44-year-old compared to being 20. It's quite different. <laughs> And I'm really thankful that mountains have so much to give to us and, and also respectful that they can take it all away. Yeah, I think events like this just really culminate why we're on search and rescue. I mean, we're out there, we're willing to take care of anybody, but to be able to take care of one of our own, be able to save a life, I mean, that's really why we do it. Thank you for listening to The Fine Line. I'm Matt Hansen. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero a vision of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to reduce fatalities and serious injuries in the Jackson Hole backcountry. Find out more at backcountryzero.com.